I want to thank our sponsor, Flight Club Spirit, which is an aircraft-inspired collaboration between contemporary artist Graphic Aircraft and the internationally award-winning Defiance Distillery. They produce eight different types of aviation-themed gym and rum, each with a different iconic aircraft pictured on the bottle to suit all different types of avgeek. Make sure you head to their website at defiancedistillery.co.uk to check out all their amazing spirits and products. If you enjoy our videos and podcasts and would like us to continue putting out regular quality content, head over to patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview where you can donate monthly and in return you will get rewards ranging from early interview viewings, bonus clips, credited as a producer and much more. Thank you and enjoy. So how many squadrons were actually left by 2011? In the, in the air uh, well, it, it, they, Lucas was the last wing. Yeah. 43 on Trouble One. Uh-huh. Uh, 56 sort of morphed into 43 Squadron. Right. So it, it downsized. Mm-hmm. Uh, 43 folded, Trouble One was the last squadron. Yeah. So by 2011, I think there was only Trouble One left. Mm-hmm. And it folded fairly early mm-hmm. in the year. But that was about the time it was supposed to go out. So uh, mm-hmm. it was supposed to uh, originally retire in 2010. So it actually made about another six months over its original. Not bad. Yeah. So was there a big party years? as well? There was a huge party. Because the, the GRs had a big party. Oh, I, yes. I never really, yeah. I mean, 2011, so yeah, I didn't really hear about it. But was, did you attend? I did. I did. Where was it at? It was at Lucas in the hangar at oh. Lucas. And uh, yeah, in the evening. And uh, yeah, great fun was had by all. And uh, Many attend? My, my two pictures that I took were almost impossible to see so <laughs> two very very dark f3s in the corner and that's it and i don't remember much about the rest of the evening so really yeah, great fun <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so yeah because um what's the highest howard pilot and nav on the f3 because i interviewed roy mcintyre i think he's four thousand, and i think the nav is a bit more than that roy, roy mac was the highest yeah and yeah so whatever figure roy told you was absolutely spot on yeah, yeah. roy was on my course going through coningsby mm-hmm. on the f2 days mm-hmm. and carried on flying and I didn't. Mm-hmm. So Roy made nearly 5,000 hours and I didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not but, that I'm bitter. I end, up, <laughs> I end up writing letters and things. But yeah. the, uh, the other guy was Wiki, who uh, was the navigator, and he actually got more hours than Roy. And then Roy was, uh, sorry, uh, Wiki was also on my course. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, uh, he then went on to do the QI course and various other things and became the lead nav uh, mm-hmm. for, for hours in just top 5,000, I think. Mm-hmm. So both very experienced and very capable. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. Because obviously uh, you run the group. Colin Wills, I should say. Colin Wills. Colin Wills. Yeah, Uh, yeah, you run the uh, former Tornado F3 Fly group, and there's some Mm. good banter in there. Uh, Why did you think of starting that up? Was it just so you could get in touch with old mates, or what was? Yeah, I'd I'd sort of. (laughs) It was a bit odd, but I'd I'd taken control of the former Phantom Flyers group Mm -hmm. when when the previous gap sort of said he wasn't interested in doing it anymore mm-hmm. and uh, I thought well you need one for the tornado as well so I, I just opened up the two groups and I'm, I'm very gentle on it you know very uh, very easy handed on the, the admin type but it's the, the whole point of the, those two groups are so that flyers can talk mm-hmm. whereas a lot of the other groups on the internet it's enthusiasts and you know pictures of aeroplanes doing this and the other mm-hmm. the whole point about those two groups is that people who flew the jets can, mm-hmm. can chat we let other people in mm-hmm. you know not not sort of it's not exclusive mm-hmm. but try to keep it away from the the routine of just posting pictures off the internet and things like that yeah and more the stories of what you did on the jet or you know 
Sadly, nowadays, increasingly, it's people have passed away and things like that, which is yeah. very sad. Yeah. But, but that kind of thing, you know, to, mm -hmm. to be able to, for the flyers to be able to have a little forum there. Yeah, I think it's a great. And there was there uh, recently I saw, was it the Tornado F3 info? It was a new website that okay, came up. Right. We've not seen it. It's, yeah. I think it was their previous one. It's been, and then someone started it up again. Excellent. All about the Tornado F3. Was, that was pretty cool. So I've been there. Uh, yeah, spent about half an hour on that, looking through all the pictures and everything. But uh, yeah, so um, what do you think about social media in general? Are you a, are you a fan? What's, uh, well, what's your take on it? I suppose I have to because I'm an author, you yeah. know, and, and you've got to be hooked up on the internet nowadays. If ever you go to the book fairs and what have you, they say you've got to be on social media, and it's true. You know, Increasingly, marketing books, you've got to be out there. You've got to interact with people that buy books. You've got to say what you do and make sure that they know that the books are available. Yeah. So you've got to be on social media. But I like it. You enjoy that process. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. And I enjoy interacting with people. Writing books is really solitary. Oh, yeah. Sit it's typing away. Tap away. And I'm a yeah. two-finger typist. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, tap away for hours. And it takes a year to produce a book mm -hmm. and edit it and all the rest of it. And uh, it, it can be quite mind-blowing and soul-destroying at times. Mm. But the nice thing is when it's finally out there and people start to say, oh, I like that. Yeah, or like equally, it, you know, yeah. it's not as much fun. But when people say, oh, "I didn't like that because," yeah, which is very gotta, rare, though. Yeah. Oh, you've got kid. you've got to look at it and find out, find out why. Yeah, um, and and you can't please everybody all the time. But as part of that process, you've got to be active on social media. Otherwise, people just don't know your book's there. You are a popular figure on, so especially in the aviation circle. And uh, I try. yeah, I think yeah, you chip in. I think you're quite active. People ask you questions, and you're more than happy to answer, which I think is great. And I think, uh, yeah, your books, you've got some hardcore fans out there, uh, which is great. Well, I, I, I must admit, my, my reason for starting to write books in the first place was to try and just explain what it was like to fly an aeroplane. That's always been what I've wanted to do. You know, Cause it's a very exclusive club. so It is, it so, is. Yeah, and, and I was very lucky. Like yeah. I, I, I got to fly faster aeroplanes in the Air Force. Fantastic. Not jealous at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, you, trying to describe that can be quite hard, which is why I've gone for a mix of factual and fiction. Because yeah. you, you've got a little bit more latitude than the fiction. Mm -hmm. Factually, you've got to be absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. Fiction, you can... Yeah. And do you like going more into the technical side, or do you like, uh, I guess, like... Uh, approaching like the general reader so you can explain it a bit better like what's your style of writing sort of slightly more towards the technical mm -hmm. side because i guess it would be wouldn't it because that was you know being an aviator is mm -hmm. quite a technical thing and equally the novels are more technical than your average reader would normally expect mm -hmm. um but but that's what i do it, it's a bit like tom clancy you know tom clancy is always technical he always goes that extra bit of detail and for me, that's important. You know, credibility is important. Yeah, but, of course, but, yeah. Yeah. So if people don't like that, then don't read my don't books. Don't read it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and, 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 and I don't apologise for that because... No, you shouldn't, yeah. It's, it's yeah. your style if you like it and the same, uh, you know, buy the and, book, read the book. And I always put it in the blurb, you know, taking it to a level of detail not seen in other films. So you're not like... So uh, that I'm not trying to... Pulling the wall of this one's eyes. Exactly. Yeah. If, if you don't want a technical book... Don't read my stuff, and it's a bit more geeky than, yeah, than the average. You get the boys' of, books, which are great, but like they're more stories and they're like a bit less technical. I'll, I'll give you an example, though. Um, uh, Andy McNabb, mm. you know, his first book was really detailed about the SAS and how they did stuff during the Gulf War and what have you. But if you look at his work over the years, obviously it's become more jelly mold, and that's not mm. a criticism. That that's what the publishers want. They want something a bit more generic that appeals to the, the broader audience. 
So it, he's gone away from the detail of the early books to a more generic product. That's great, you know, but I'm not sure I will ever do that. You know, I, I, I do what I do. I've, I've, I've relaxed a bit. It's not as technical as it was at the start, but I, I, I still want to push out something that's a bit more detailed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, brilliant. Mm. So what are we having, Dave? Well, you talked about what my tipple was and red wine, and, and Chianti is one of the favourites, so I thought we'd, uh, we'd uncork a bottle of Chianti Classico. And, Very, uh, this is probably the poshest wine I've ever had, so <laughs> I'm normally Aldi 3.99. <laughs> and I've just uh, mutilated that, but there you go. <laughs> Thanks very much, Dave. Right, yeah, Dave. so uh, oh, yeah. a little glass of Chianti. Yeah, and, thank you uh, very much. The reason this is uh, so topical is that uh, I did four months down at the Balkans Combined Air Operations Centre at Vicenza. Oh, wow. Uh, and I was the senior ops officer down there, and responsible for the day-to-day -day running of the air, tra uh, the air tasking order. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, a few glasses of Italian red imagine. on the in the evenings when I had my time off was Very almost mandatory. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I had a little flat in the middle of Vicenza and uh, I lived there for four months. And uh, been all did, over. Yeah, did did my uh, did, did my detached duty in in a very pleasant place. So uh, very nice. Yeah. Well, that's my first try one of these. So uh, let's go for it. That's all right, isn't it? That is mm. nice. That, that is nice. Yeah. Beats Aldi. <laughs> That's for sure. But uh, yeah, you mentioned traveling there, and then you've been to uh, China recently, haven't you? I have. Well, what have you mm. been up to there? Uh, just a bucket list job. Mm. I mean, I, I looked at places I'd wanted to go, and uh, going to a Formula One Grand Prix race was one of them, which I did last year. Uh, flying in a Spitfire was one of them, which I did last year. So I looked at places that I really wanted to visit and the Great Wall of China was kind of high up the list. So was it I, as good as everyone says? I've heard mixed reviews. People, awesome. Was it really good? I just lost track of the times I said, wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, went to see the Terracotta Warriors and uh, wow. Uh, went to see some pandas, which I didn't expect to enjoy and said, wow, that's good. Uh, and just an, an amazing country with very nice people and... Uh, it's really nice to be able to see people close up mm -hmm. because I think the reality is that when you get to know people, we're all the same. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's funny being an ex-military person, but we kind of build barriers. And actually, when Which you talk really to strange. people... Which is really strange. You just need another human because um, I've exactly. been in Malaysia and then yeah. you get this kind of stereotype of people and you meet yeah. them, you're just like, just another bloke, another yeah. girl, whatever. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's great. And, it, and it's all, in the end, it's all sort of, dare I say, propaganda. You know, it's Could whatever be. the media pushes out, it's whatever perceptions are. And actually, when you get down to it, we're all people. But then media. you weren't allowed social media or anything over there, were you? Indeed. There was that. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, uh, Facebook was banned. It's probably, yeah, was probably banned. good, actually, for uh, just a couple of weeks' break or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah. Because like, sometimes I want a break from it, but unfortunately, like, I can't. And sometimes, you, I guess, you can't as well, because you need to push your books and stuff. Indeed. But, yeah, Indeed, which, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, when you try to log on, the little wheel just keeps whirling. So it doesn't say you can't go out, just a little... Just just carries on and right. you get something that was posted five days ago. Yeah, so that's it. Yeah. And then you mentioned the Spitfire trip there. What was that like? Because that was... Just was awesome. Yeah, last yeah. year. Yeah. It, it was a very emotional experience, mm -hmm. not least of which flying a Spitfire. Because, you know, that is every aviator's dream, you know, flying a Spitfire. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I did actually get a chance to, it's that, 
to operate the controls and fly it for five minutes. I flew with a very good mate of mine called Parky, who used to be on the Battle of Britain Memorial mm-hmm. flight as a Spitfire pilot, and uh, is now flying commercially down at Headcorn mm-hmm. uh, with um, with the company down there. And uh, we were both X ninety two squadron, so we both got to fly together. Of course, and uh, with two Cobras together, which was absolutely brilliant. Mm. Wore the ninety two squadron flying suit, had the old op patch on the on the day that we flew. And also had but, my t shirt on. I had your T-shirt on, and we got, the, cool, yeah. we got the selfie next to the Spitfire. Yeah, that of was really great. But do you get to many museums or anything like that? Like, I do try. Travel? Yeah, I do try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if 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 I'm going to a city and they've got mm-hmm. a museum, I try to pop in. Yeah, because you get such a different flavour, don't you? If you particularly if you're overseas. Yeah, I'd love to go some of the uh, the, the former Soviet Union type oh, places, yeah, Moscow and mm-hmm. places like that, to see the aeroplanes, because some of these cities have fantastic museums. Mm-hmm. I did go to Athens. Um, okay, they had a great museum there of, uh, and and I did the um, RAF Gatow. The, the oh. German Air Force now have a museum. Yeah, at yeah. Gatow, absolutely fabulous. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's a Cold War warriors. Mm-hmm. Desire, you know, yeah. so many both Western types mm-hmm. and former East Europe, uh, mm-hmm. former Soviet types, mm-hmm. but brilliant, absolutely fantastic. So on that, like, what's your favourite like Eastern Bloc type aircraft? Do you have one? Not really. I, I, I suppose you kind of look at the aeroplanes that you flew against. So mm-hmm. in my era, that would have been the MiG twenty one, MiG twenty three, yeah, MiG twenty five wasn't so much an issue in that you either got it or you didn't depending mm. on where it was. If mm. it was way, way, way up there, you know, mm-hmm. it'd have been a struggle to get up high yeah. enough to shoot it. Uh, if it was down a little bit lower, we'd have got it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but the other ones were the ones that you kind of trained against, you know, the, the fighter bombers that were coming through it. I think you level. said the floggers weren't too great. I no. I remember you once we, told me that when well, we were walking past them. We didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of built it as six foot tall and it wasn't, it was about three foot tall. Um, oh, the Red Eagles book, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, kind yeah. Of. and of course, having worked at Nellis and spoken to some of the people that used to fly the aeroplanes, you know, on constant peg, and you know, after it was declassified, mm-hmm. they were able to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, one of the gentlemen that I worked for was he was a former commander of the the squadron that flew the MiGs. Yeah. So I chatted to him, and uh, many, many, many times, and uh, he he said. Uh, that the, the MiG-23, every time you flew it, tried to kill you. He said that the aeroplane was just a nightmare, mm. that it had a stick shaker system that when it got to high units and you know low speed, mm. it would virtually pull your hand off. Um, so he, he was very derogatory about that as uh, an aeroplane. It couldn't uh, move the wings back in a turn, couldn't it? Oh, is that it, correct? It could, it, it, you had to be straight and level to move yeah. the wings, as I understand it. Yeah. But you, if you had tanks on, you certainly couldn't because yeah. they were fixed pylons. Right. So if you put the tanks on, you were stuck with whatever wing position you were in. So uh, you know, if they were coming through with wings forward that had been going slower, get the tanks. Presumably, they'd have had to ditch them and then press yeah. on. But what the MiG-23 did very well, like the Tornado, was go very quickly in a straight yeah. line. Mm-hmm. And apparently, 900 knots was no problem in a flogger. So it went quick. But it didn't turn much. Mm-hmm. Um, the MiG-21, though, he was very complimentary about. Mm-hmm. He, he liked it. He, he thought it was a great aeroplane to fly. Mm-hmm. He did tell a wonderful story, though, because he, uh, he he talked about uh, they were, because this was all covert at the time and they were, they were having trouble keeping these aeroplanes flying, so they went out to buy some new brakes and, you know, their, their, their fleet had been... Um, 
a bit depleted. Mm -hmm. So they, they went to their suppliers and said, can we have another 100 sets of those, please? And they <laughs> gave them the, 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 the brakes from mm -hmm. the MiG-21 that had been used. Wow. So their supplier said, yes, no problem, sir. We will produce you 100 sets more of these. No problem at all. So they did. They produced 100 sets of used brake shoes. <laughs> <laughs> which, which weren't a lot of use to anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember um, you might you might know him. Um, he's a, a former F one eleven guy. He went to the fighter weapons school and he flew the F one elevens. And he went up against the MiG twenty threes and he said it was an awful aircraft. Yeah. He said even in acceleration, he said the F one eleven outperformed it, which I was surprised about. That's saying something because the F one eleven wasn't the best. No. Either turning. It, it could accelerate very quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. Was, it was pretty yeah. cool. I yeah. think that's a swing wing thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same with the Tomcat, obviously. It's my yeah. second favourite aircraft. But uh, you never actually got to go up against one, did you? A Tomcat, no. No, I, yeah. I would love to have tried it. I think it's but, uh, yeah, a pretty rare thing. I know Keith did. good friend of mine did, and he flew it. Mm. He, he did an exchange at Oceana. Mm. And... Uh, they're, they're very complimentary about its capability and its radar and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. it. It sounded like a great aeroplane. I think most of us, if we're honest, would have preferred to get an F-14 back in the 80s than a mm -hmm. Tornado. Mm. And it would arguably have done a better job than the Tornado did, certainly in the early days. Yeah, Maybe yeah. not later on, mm -hmm. but that's 10 years after. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, wonderful aeroplane, yeah. particularly the D. Yeah, the yeah. D model, yeah. But have you ever seen one fly at an air show or anything like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, lots of times. Have in you? fact, we had a lovely incident where back at the Fairford Air Show, back in 92, uh, I think it was, I took a tornado in as a static, mm -hmm. and we landed and we went wandering around, you know, dressed in the flying suit with the patches on, mm -hmm. and uh, went to the Bear, which had landed for the first time in UK, and uh, sort of waved at the Russian air crew and said, any chance of going in? Yes, come on in, you know. And they let us in the aeroplanes. We, we climbed in the Midas, we climbed in the, uh, the Bear and had a look around and, mm -hmm. you know, saw the whole thing. And uh, having done that, feeling very pleased with ourselves and taking a few pictures in the cockpit, we then went around to the tornado, uh, sorry, to the F-14, which was parked just alongside the Bear. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, my mate, who had actually flown the aeroplane on exchange and had about a thousand hours on to on Tomcats at that time, mm -hmm. said, you know, and he had his Tomcat patch on, mm -hmm. and he said, you know, can we go in and have a look? I want to show my mate the cockpit, and we couldn't get in. <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> so the Americans, our closest allies, wouldn't let us in the aeroplane and have a look, really? whereas the Russians had let us climb all all over the uh, the bear and the miners. Were well, you so, on static uh, at that airshow? My aeroplane was it, and funnily enough, it was my aeroplane, Alpha Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've got the, that in my office. Yeah, yeah. That, that was that was the static aeroplane. That was the year of the uh, MIG collision. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. Mm. And were you on uh, static? Uh, so you were chatting to the public as well? Or no, it... we didn't have to do that. They just wanted just the aeroplane park up, park, yeah. park yeah. up and leave. So uh, we went around and had a good time. What were the watching. hangar parties like? I've heard they're quite good at air shows. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Heard some stories. Yes, those, those photographs will probably never emerge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but did you have a fancy going on? Because you actually flew uh, on the Tornado Arrows once, didn't you? Wasn't it in Finland? Yeah, is that correct. Uh, it, it was very brief. The, the Finland was a different episode, actually, but uh, mm. I, I never flew the airshow circuit. Yeah. Because um, I was a flight commander at the time, mm -hmm. so it was a bit busy. So yeah. I, I couldn't give the time up to it's a very time intensive uh, thing mm -hmm. and and has to be done properly you know so 
you know, the, the guys that did it, mm -hmm. did it. Um, but that year, um, we, we, oh, in fact, no, when I, when I did the arrows, the mini arrows display, we were going to do a tour of the Gulf and mm -hmm. it was really a sales push for the company, mm -hmm. you know, demonstrating the airplane, hopefully mm -hmm. the Arab nations buying it. Mm -hmm. But we, we took it around and uh, Paul Brown, who uh, was the aerobatic display pilot for that year, mm -hmm. he'd just finished his season. So I climbed in the back with him and uh, he gave me a few tips of what to do and how you do it. And uh, we flew four displays at the various venues that we were at in the Gulf that year. And uh, great fun. So I got the flavor, but not, mm -hmm. you know, never did the, the, the arrows uh, sequence. But um, what was the other one you mentioned? The Finland one. You went to... The Finland, yeah. yeah. That was a really special weekend because we were asked to go do a static display at Kauhava, which was up in Finland. And they do a midnight air show mm -hmm. to end the season. And uh, we were asked to go out there. And uh, I was flying with the boss, Pete Coker. And uh, we were asked to go out and just put a static aeroplane up so that they could see the tornado. Mm -hmm. So we did, and we landed, and uh, we, we got in about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And they said, really glad to see you, you know, when, uh, and, and you'll be getting airborne at 5 to 12 and close the show. And, and the boss said, we will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so there was a lot of... Um, gulping and uh, you know telephone calls back to the UK to say look they expect us to close the show today you know help luckily I think Cliff Spink might even have been the station commander at that time and uh, luckily Pete Coker had just finished doing a, a, a short sequence of a four ship workup and a little bit of solo type stuff mm -hmm. at the end of that for air days mm -hmm. so it wasn't a full aerobatic display but it was a little sequence of mm -hmm. something that worked and he said to the station, look, I've, I've got this sequence. Are you happy that I do it to close the show here at midnight? <laughs> so so uh, the station commander agreed. I think the AOC agreed as mm -hmm. well. And we did. We got airborne. But unfortunately, it wasn't normally you flew these things in a clean wing airplane with no fuel on board and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. This was a, a full-up tornado with 22 50-litre tanks, the big tanks, big to get ones, to Finland, yeah. which had been filled because we'd landed thinking we were just going to fly home. So we had to do this little sequence with big tanks. So there was a whole bunch of things that we had to think about, and it was midnight. So we got airborne and did a very gentle display of just, you know, sort of wingovers and things like this. And it was very carefully scripted, mm -hmm. and we sat down and wrote out what the sequence was going to be. And it worked very well. And it's actually on video. You can find it out there on the internet. Yeah, I think it was a, 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 one of our supporters on Patreon, uh, Miko. Um, I think yes, he, he, uh, indeed, indeed. He pointed out, and yeah, yeah I think uh, obviously the fast pass uh, wings backwards. Uh, it's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. yeah, I think you said that. That's was always good, yeah. and that's the easiest one to do. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's the turning. There. <laughs> yeah, it's the hard. turning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like having their big tanks on? Like, um, could you actually feel it in the jet? Like oh, when you were trying yes. to, yeah. yeah. The, the jet was so much more sluggish. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about the smaller tanks? Could you feel the difference between them? Because it, you, you could, but m normally when you were above about twenty five thousand feet, particularly if you had FEMAT and the TRD mm -hmm. on, um, then it became a bit of a dog. Mm -hmm. um, but down low, it wasn't so bad. Yeah. Uh, but anytime you put stuff on the outside of a tornado, it's going to mm -hmm. show you its displeasure. 
Yeah. Because so, uh, I was yeah. talking to Mike Napier, as you know, and he, uh, we were talking about ref um, air-to-air refueling, and we were saying, like, you start to plug in the one in either Minry Heat or something like that. Was it the same on the F3? And the F3 wasn't as bad because we had the bigger engines, particularly okay. in reheat. Yeah. Um, so 25,000 feet, we could tank quite happily. Mm -hmm. The GR1 with all the stuff on couldn't, mm -hmm. so it would need the... You know, yeah, yeah. The extra help. Right. Anything above that, without a doubt, yeah, you were struggling. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And were you involved uh, in any way with the Typhoon project? Mm. Because obviously that's a really capable uh, aircraft at the moment. Yeah, I was, I was involved in the defensive aids suite. <laughs> so the defensive, uh, things like the radar warning receiver, mm. the jammers, the chaff and flares, and all the other stuff, laser warning receivers. So... Um, I, I was involved in the, the, the period between when it was when the requirement was set and it was turned into specification. Mm. So I was the desk officer for that phase. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. Mm -hmm. Great aeroplane. If you asked a current tornado pilot, is it great? I'll come up with all the bad things about it. Mm -hmm. But I had one last ride before I yeah, retired and it was absolutely amazing. You know, the performance is awesome, the view is awesome, the the capability is awesome. With a helmet mounted sight, it must mm -hmm. be magic, although I didn't, I wasn't wearing one. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I was hugely impressed. Did you do yeah, a the, performance takeoff on yours? No, sadly. No. I, I was on an operational sortie, well, not an operational sortie, but a training sortie from the oh, conversion okay. unit. Mm -hmm. So we were going to get airborne, we were going to go out to Wales as a 2v2. Mm -hmm. Two tornadoes, uh, sorry, two typhoons got airborne from Coningsby. I was in the two-seater. There was a single-seater along with us. Mm -hmm. We went out to Wales and we did a, a, a training sortie against mm -hmm. two hawks. So we did the pitch in. And mm -hmm. I was a passenger in the back. I, I was. Fun. I had nothing to do at all other than watch the show. You know, the guy in the front did it all. Chap called Al, Al Seymour, great guy. One of my students on the tornado when he was a young <laughs> okay. baby pilot. And then he ended up as the boss of the tornado, sorry, the typhoon conversion unit. Yeah. And I got to fly with him for my last ride, which was absolutely magnificent. Hugely capable pilot. Mm -hmm. And it was a lovely way to end my Air Force career. Absolutely. And, and, uh, do you yeah. think the typhoon's the right jet for the RAF at the moment? Yeah, It is, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. But uh, you and RP did uh, some TV work, didn't you? Uh, was it Scrap? Oh, what was it called? We have to talk about Scrap that, things. You're not getting away from that. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Scrap Kings. Scrap it, Kings, it yeah. It came out of the blue. And uh, it turns out that uh, Jet Art Aviation up at uh, Selby, they, they buy old RAF airplanes and then they uh, refurbish them and send them out to museums. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris Wilson up there is a great guy. And uh, he was moving an airplane, an F-2, and it was going from, I think, Boscombe Down. And it was going up to the Manchester Fire Service. Mm -hmm. It was going to be put into service as a sort of a, a training vehicle. You know, firemen could get onto it and mm -hmm. put out fires and learn out how to cope with a, you know, a fast jet that crashed or whatever. And uh, this, this program, Scrap Kings, followed the, the, the movement of this aeroplane from Chris's yard across to the Manchester Fire Service. But 
what they wanted was a crew who had flown the aeroplane as a little bit of fill-in, you know, to, to sort of say, well, when it mm. was really flying, this is what happened. Yeah. So we were co-opted to have a chat, and we were dragged down to a, a hotel down near where the studios were, and, uh, and we had a chit-chat with the, you know, we did about an hour's uh, discussion, and we got about... 30 seconds yeah it was movie. tiny wasn't it yeah <laughs> you're looking through uh, was it some picture yeah. books or something yeah, or something like that? I, I, I always said if ever I'm interviewed on TV I'm not going to look at the pictures and what <laughs> yeah. happened I'm looking at the pictures but there you go so yeah. you're there for an hour and a bit filming so what like what else do you want you to film like, oh they quite they, interested they, in that they just talked about the airplane during its time you know so it was background archive material so so they just but, wanted what was going to work best for TV yeah, yeah but they only used the, the the sort of 90 seconds they needed and mm. it was clips of the tornado flying through the uh, the valleys in Wales but more importantly some of my air to air video that I'd taken when I was flying the airplane mm. and and yeah, it, it was just, this is the aeroplane. It was the the, the then and now. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just the story of the aeroplane's move to the service. And you but, sometimes see it in the media. I don't know if you get it, but like they always like say nabs of pilots or something like that. Did that happen in that show or anything like that? Or it was like two pilots or... No, no, I, we didn't get that. Uh, we, we did get, you know, Rick is the pilot, I was the navigator. Oh, that's and good, and yeah, this yeah. This and that. And, you know, yeah. Never, yeah, but th- there was a bit of that. Mostly uh, the media say two pilots. Two pilots, yeah, yeah. But I've, I've never been uh, bitter. No, no. <laughs> You're the brains of the outfit anyway. Exactly, we all know. We sing keep, so. <laughs> when we did that first interview, you asked me what I uh, enjoyed, and, and yeah. the scotch was one of them. So we've got a little scotch here, an upper feldy. So it's very nice. We ought to uh, uncork this. So it's been great fun chatting. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk to you, as always. Yeah, as I, I consider you a mate now. Like I've been I've known you for about five years now. I think. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, we've yeah. known each other a long time. So it's uh, yeah, getting to the point where we can sit and have a whiskey together. And aeroplanes <laughs> never get old. Yeah, everyone wants to talk about aeroplanes. Slange. <laughs> <laughs>